The family of a black teenager shot in the head in Kansas City, Missouri, has hired two well-known civil rights attorneys. Police have not released the name of the young person, but his family and attorneys say he is 16-year-old Ralph Yarl. Police say he was trying to pick up his younger siblings last week when he went to the wrong address. After ringing the doorbell, he was then shot by the owner of the home. The family's lawyers say that owner is a white man. Police would not confirm Yarl's injuries, but his aunt wrote online that the teenager was shot in the head and while lying on the ground she says he was shot a second time baby y'all better get comfortable with saying black black versus the board of education That's why we are indeed a whole mood. That's it. Where are my air horns? The stuff don't stop, Tevin. What? Come on, where you at? so very much <laughs> welcome to another monday of black versus the board of education my name is miss laureen and yes i am on your screen and not in the studio today because i'm not feeling well but that don't mean that the party stops so welcome 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 we welcome you into this space i know the title says we're going to be talking about foster care and we will get to that however we have to get to the opening video but before we do that you know we always have to go and let you know who's in the building so come on miss jada say hey 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 y'all, hey, my name is Jada. I am a homeschooled senior in the Sacramento area and I look forward to talking about today. Well, welcome back, uh, Jalen. Uh, hello, my name is Jalen. I am a uh, uh, honorary Louisianian in the California area. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm also in college, um, but I'm excited today. All right, all right. Where's Adrian? Hey, Adrian. Hello, my name is Adrian, college student in Sacramento. Glad to be here. Got promoted from the office today. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> studio. Don't make me laugh. I'm trying to stop from coughing. Uh, where's Anaya? Hey everyone. Um, my name is Anaya and I'm currently a senior in high school. That's it. Sam. <laughs> and, wow. Oh, uh, I was gonna say something. I forgot. Well, what you what you about to say? Like the beans? <laughs> no, I. I oh man! So oh Lord! Go ahead. <laughs> you said what now? I'm twelve. I'm from Georgia. I'm Sam. Uh, I don't know. I forgot what I was gonna say. I'm mad. <laughs> oh, don't be mad. Don't be mad. <laughs> Where's Melissa? Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa. I am a junior and I'm in the, uh, the SoCal area. Well, welcome, you guys. And you guys know we have a special guest in studio with us today. And I'm going to let her introduce herself before we start talking about the opening video. So go ahead, Miss Lady, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jade. I'm from Sacramento, California. I'm here to talk about foster care. Awesome. So welcome uh, to Black versus the Board of Education. And I know you guys saw the opening video. Um, my understanding is this incident took place a couple of days ago, if not yesterday. I don't know. Uh, maybe somebody uh, can tell me. Um, but uh, this young man went to pick up a young boy. I'm going to call him a boy. Let me not adultify him. He went to pick up his siblings. He went to um, a street that was similar to the street he was supposed to be at. He goes up, he knocks on the door or rings the doorbell and without any provocation, he was shot through the door. Um, the owner then comes out and shoots him a second time in the head. Uh, what say you, Jada? That's scary. That's First of all, that's manslaughter. But second of all, it's scary because it's like, like I, I would be so scared. Like that kind of makes me a little nervous like being on the wrong street and knocking on the wrong door because I'm sure that he did not expect to die the minute he knocked on somebody's door. Like that is super scary. That's frightening. Melissa. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I'm in. A, I agree with Jada. It's really scary because that's an. It's an honest mistake. Like we're all humans. Like we all make mistakes. Why are? Why would someone feel the need to do that? And I know he wasn't threatening the person, and they felt like they needed to the to defend themselves. He was going to pick up his siblings. All he did was knock at the door, and then was shot not once but twice after he was on the ground already. Clearly, again, not threatening him. Then was shot again. I just don't understand. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with Melissa because there's no way that you can justify that. Like you're everybody, everybody has gone to the wrong street at some point, um, and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna come pick up my siblings. But next thing you know, you have somebody shooting at you through the door, and then while you're on the ground getting shot at again, it's crazy, hmm. crazy. Samuel, it's just so impulsive so crazy so I, I i insane like what what does what did he do to you he rings the doorbell you shoot him for what reason like what what did he just want he, he was laughing on your doorbell that, that's the reason black he was like black people should know you don't ring on my doorbell or you get shot it's looking like i guess i i guess i because there's no, there's absolutely no reason somebody just rings your doorbell and then you and then you come out guns blazing with what did he shoot him with? I don't know what he shot him with. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I don't even care. Yeah. Like, in what world do do you shoot through your door? I I don't know. I'm 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 at a loss, Adrian. You know. uh this is a problem with these standard ground states in these mm. red states uh it gives these white people or anybody an excuse in their minds to do this when you show up to the house i think america set that precedent when george zimmerman was acquitted mm. it set the tone that if you're on my house doesn't matter the reason i legally can shoot and legally can kill you Talk about it. Anaya? Um, reading about the Instagram post that I sent was very horrific because I think the caption said, like, yeah, he was shot once, and then it said he was shot again in the head, left out to bleed and die. So it's like the guy knew what he was doing. He came up to kill him. It's like you get killed for a mistake. Like, no question. Like, shoot first, ask questions later. That's like, how it was mm. to me. The dangerous part about that is it could have been anyone. Like yeah. it could have been anybody who was unlucky to knock on or knock on their door. Yep. Like that's scary. Like there should be no excuse. There should be like, oh, I thought it was so-and-so. It doesn't matter. Like, what are we doing? And I don't think they know because um, the issue that I have is that they say they arrested this guy, right? They mm -hmm. let him give a statement and they released him. He mm -hmm. was then able to change out the glass door that he shattered shooting the person. And he was out there sweeping up evidence. And I'm trying to figure out in what world do we allow criminals <laughs> to come in and say what they did and go home and like nothing happened. And I understand this dude was 84 years old or 83, 84 years old. Um, they're trying to say that he has PTSD from a war. Oh lord! Then he shouldn't have a gun. Why does he have a gun? Talk. Talk about that. Why does he have a gun? We know that soldiers suffer from PTSD. So why do they have access to armed weapons? What's going on? Mm. Sammy looks like he wants to jump in. That's just that's that's my question. Why why do why do people soldiers specifically with PTSD have guns? Or like why do they have weapons at their disposal? Like you know, they're they're like quick on the trigger because they're like they're in this war mindset at all times, especially with PTSD. You're in this kind of like you can snap back at any time. Why do they? Why? Why? Why can you register with a weapon? And that it makes no sense. And to me, it doesn't matter what his illness is. If he has PTSD, everybody should be held accountable. And you committed mm. murder. Who gets away with murder? Well, no, 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 no. He ain't dead. Thank God this young man survived. This yeah. young boy survived. Yeah. Uh, okay. He has been released from the hospital. He okay. is at home recovering. So he is not dead. Um, and thank God that he's not. 
However, the charges that they put on him were first degree assault and armed criminal action. What happened to a att attempted murder? That's what I'm saying. Right. Why the softness on the charges? That's, uh, you literally saw him again and shot him in his head and left yeah. him out to bleed. Yeah, that that that's like like you can't. That was and you, clean, and you were allowed to clean up the evidence. Yeah, so like, where who cleans up a crime scene? What's going on? That should be an because addition. they didn't treat it as a crime scene. Somebody needs to be held accountable for that. That got to be a hundred percent. That has to be an additional charge just for that right. too. Because tampering with, evidence, tampering with evidence. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, tampering with evidence and that excuse of of PTSD is completely invalidating his experience. Do you know the post-traumatic stress disorder that he will have from being shot in the head not once, but twice? For not and the more. PTSD and the trauma that we have just from existing as Black people every single day? And I was reading further, he had to get up and run to not one, not two, but three different people's houses to get because help. Because they wouldn't open anyone. the door. Because, but, so no, but no one would help him. Three different people as he's bleeding out from being shot in the head twice. What what are their consequences for not helping him? Because that's completely invalidating his experience as not just this, but existing in America as a black person every single day. I wanted to I jump in and go back to the PTSD thing. From my understanding, I would say maybe soldiers would have PTSD from loud noises. Now, a knock at the door like this, that's loud enough to hear. I'm sure he wasn't banging on the door right. to I think that. he rang the doorbell. So let's be clear. Okay. I believe he doorbell. rang the doorbell. If Then you should be used to the sound of your doorbell. And if you have PTSD, what help are you getting from that? That's your responsibility to take care of yourself. From in my opinion. It's, it's just insane. And, you know, we keep talking about you know, children being held accountable. All the time I hear these schools, they say, oh, well, we did this because the child needs to be held accountable, but I'm so sick of these adults not being held accountable. Right. And they always have the complexion for protection. Let's keep it a buck. Mm. And then they always get the mental health aspect. They always, oh, he's PTSD. Oh, he's a, he's a former veteran. So, you know, he's going through a lot. You, you know, he service. went, you know, he went through, you know, he, he, he survived the world war. So, you know, he, He's one of our, he's one of them. So, but how do you feel about the kid who has PTSD knocking on people's doors now? Right. He doesn't know. Or ringing the doorbell. Yeah, I'm not saying he does knocking. Well, let's say <laughs> either or. Let's just say either going up to somebody's door. You don't know if this person is going to shoot you for being black. Right. And that's, and that's, <laughs> that's the thing that, I believe your your teachers, administrators, people in positions of power don't understand. They don't understand that just by virtue of your skin color, you are already perceived or assumed to be a threat or disposable. And it's infuriating. And I'm sitting here and I'm just like, how many times have y'all ordered, say something like DoorDash? Every day. And somebody comes to your door has there ever been a time in your mind that you thought, you know what? I'm gonna open this door and shoot. Why not just ignore it? I got a ring. If you're not expecting anybody, why not just ignore it? Right. Yep. Yep. Don't they? Also it's insane. People? Right. Can't, can't you, you look through? I got a pool. I got a ring. And you say you have I mean, a we glass got door. A glass door. You, so a, you saw. Like you have a glass door, and you see <laughs> that there's somebody that you're not expecting. That just rung your doorbell and your first instinct is to shoot. Right. It's insane. Mm. I mean, if I had a glass door, first of all, I have a problem with people being able to see me and I don't know who they are. So I'm gonna keep my door closed and I'm gonna ask you some questions through my door mm -hmm. if if I'm not expecting you, or I'm gonna wait till you go away because I'm not expecting you. I have never thought to go in my house, get a firearm, and just shoot. I've never thought about that. And he needs to be held accountable. Absolutely. Um, Ms. J, did you want to weigh in before we do a hard transition? No. Okay, good. All right. So listen, y'all, a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a chance to attend the Foster Youth Education Summit down in Orange County. And it became increasingly clear to me that we are doing a disservice to our young people that we are ripping from their homes and putting with strangers in 
other places. Now, I've had my own experience with foster care in terms of having a child removed from my home. Um, I am not a big fan, uh, to be perfectly honest, um, because I think that, again, what we are seeing is people who never took care of their own children during slavery coming in and trying to tell other people how to parent. And I have a problem with that. Um, and so today, our guest, we're going to talk about the real about foster care. Ms. Jade reached out to us through Instagram, and she said that she wanted to come in because she wanted to be an advocate um, for foster youth. And my understanding is that you went through the foster care system yourself. So can you first, let's take us back. What happened that you ended up being a person or a child um, taken from your family and put into this system? So like how it all started? Yes, um, ma'am. So they were already, already was in like like the family business when my grandma got sick and then my mom and my dad wasn't like really stabled and so like and they always went to jail a lot so like they kind of knew like I, they had a kid and then so that's how foster care came in and then when my uh, mom and no when my grandma got very very sick she took me to her sister to for her to raise me and then from then on like they came in deeper Cause like they didn't know like she was bringing me to her to like for her to take care of me, and then so when that happened, um, my mom and my dad was around and foster care came in deeper when my auntie was allowing them to be around me, and so when my auntie was going to like out of town, she didn't confirm to them like you have to do calls and stuff for me to even like be around other family members with the CPS, and so she didn't do that with my grandma on my dad's side, and so. I got taken from my grandma when I went over her house for a while. And then they knew like they, when my grandma, my auntie already went out of town, they told her like, you weren't supposed to do that. And so like, that's how they took me from there, snatched me on her arms. And I was 11 years old when foster care came in, but they came in when I was like younger than that, but they came and grabbed me at 11 and I was screaming. Wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. They removed you from your grandparents they removed you from your grandparents. Yes. Because they didn't give permission for you to be around your grandparents. Yes. Okay. Yes. And and the thing that stuck out to me is as you started to tell your story and you flashed back to that time when you were 11, I heard your voice do something different. So you remember it like it was yesterday. So tell us more about that. Like how I got snatched from them. So like they just ripped me out her arms when I was crying and like holding on to her. And then so like there were and it was like a lot of policemen, like, you know, like all in her house and like everybody was trying to stop them. Like, you can't do this. Like everybody was just screaming and crying. And then they were because they already heard a lot of stories about them, like everybody in my family. So like they were already like panicking when they came. And so like they snatched me put me like literally came and picked me up and put me in a police car in the back I'm screaming and crying looking outside like you know the back window yeah. and I'm like looking at them like my family like screaming and crying and then they put me to like the receiving home I I don't know which one it was but because it was like so long ago but it was in SAC and um and then that's but I didn't get to sleep there or nothing but like I know how everything was because all the kids was just telling me in the room like this, if you stay here, this is how, like, everything about, like, how it's going to happen. But then, like, I don't know, God sent above, like, you know, gave me, like, a good foster mom, and she's very old, and she took me right away, like, when I, like, hit the receiving, you know, the receiving place. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I didn't stay there at all that long, so I didn't get to experience that, like, the receiving homes, how, how it is. So I got took in and I went inside like a nice home with her and yeah. And it, that part worked out good. So like I was with her till I was 11 to 18. So like I aged out with her and she treated me very well. And she's still like to this day, like she still comes like to family stuff that I have because my auntie kept in touch with her and like they're best friends. Like, so yeah. And, but like, it was so hard with visitations. And then I had to go to camps, like, with all sorts of like foster kids and and it was their stories had me like took in and then I went to the school and with so many foster kids there too their story took me out of breath like I was 
Mm. So before you keep going, Jada, you pulled some uh, statistics for us. So give us kind of like the landscape of what we're talking about. So I got this information off of kidsdata.org. Um, the total amount of children in California is 59,172 for uh, African-Americans or Black uh, kids. It's 12,866. In total in California, the Hispanic and Latino community have that top number. But in Sacramento, there's to the total children in Sacramento that are in foster care is 2,359. African-American and Black children are at the top, um, 854. Um, but the, the thing that's concerning me about, so I went online and I was searching all through looking for statistics of the foster rates in 2023, there was nothing past 2018. And I think that's a problem and they need to update mm -hmm. immediately because there should be no reason why I go online and you're still giving me statistics of back when I was in eighth grade, I'm about to graduate high school. That needs to be fixed immediately. Mm -hmm. So... Jade, you said that when you went to the the uh, receiving home, there were a bunch of kids. Can you give me kind of a number of how many kids you think were in there at that particular time? So when I went to the receiving home, it was babies, like little, little babies coming at the same time I'm coming in. So some was like, like freshly new. And then there was kids like around like when I was 11, it was like 15, like, you know, like 15 year olds. So it, all together, plus the babies, I seen like about 11 people, like 11, you know, all together, like people and was so, it a big room was it a small room like tell me um, as you're looking around what are you seeing okay so the room okay so when you walk in it's like a visitation like living room and then I usually had mine there because I had to come there too like just a visit so it was that and then like right okay and then you turn a little bit and it's like where you check in you know like you have to do a check-in like the family members have to check in with them and then it's a door open and you could walk through and it's, it's so big it's like where the kids sleep or it's couches it's like um like a little bit of playrooms and then there's like little um like rooms like this too like this room is like three of them and it's mm -hmm. like visitations too and then and then there's another door in the back there's like um like toy room and another type of visitation room too then like very in the back where you could walk out the door that's where all the rooms and sections are for like kids who don't have a home yet to sleep in was it like a dorm like style or you said rooms to sleep in was it bunk beds was it single beds was it pallets on the floor like what are we talking about so i didn't get to go in those rooms because i already oh, got you didn't get to go. yeah so i already got picked so i didn't it was their privacy but like um, they told me it was like like bunk beds and like you like you said piles and stuff on the floor, but it wasn't like no regular bed. It was just like bunk beds, and mm. so yeah, and it was kind of like a dorm sort of, mm. but it, yeah, it was like kind of like dorms. And then but the office was up front, and then the back, like you go through another door. It was like dorms. So you said you didn't have to stay there very long. At any point in time, the people who took you away, did they seem caring, compassionate, or? No. Um, so the ones who took me away, they kind of didn't really, like, um, they didn't really care. Like, they were just telling me, like, oh, you, like, you guys knew you guys weren't supposed to go with your grandma. And I'm, like, young, so I'm like, what? But I'm just screaming and crying, not really, like, hearing her out. And uh, it was a lady, but the lady who put me in the car, it was the lady, but the dude's this is the one that snatched me away. And so, like, she just talking about, like, yeah, this is that, and you're going to be okay. And when you, you're going to be in a nice home now and just some other stuff. And I'm just, like, yelling at her, like, I want to go back, you know, because I'm young. And then, um, yeah, so she she wasn't really, like, you know, like, not really careless, like, how I was feeling. She didn't say, like, you're going to be okay, it's okay. No, she was more quiet and more, like, said was how she felt about, like, the family, I guess. So, like, she was a not helpful at all. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm I'm not laughing um, because it's funny. Um, I'm kind of laughing in a sense because they inflict trauma on you and they say you're going to be okay. <laughs> like, how do they know? How do they know you're going to be okay? Um, they don't. 
Yeah, especially just hearing her say you're you're gonna be at a nice home. Like, how do you know that somebody that has a nice home is gonna be the one that's gonna pick you? Yeah, right. Or is this, or is the situation that you're going to gonna be better than the one that you are currently in? But like, they have assuming. it's like a van that takes you from a receiving home. It's like I had a like not even racist, but like since we're all black, it was like a like an Indian dude. It was like at night. And I was so scared of him too. It was like in a van and he was like a little acting weird, like on some like asking too many weird questions, like vibe. And like they place you in any type of home, like you, and like I was spooked of my foster mom because like I was so scared of everything. And then I didn't know what to do. Like I was trying to run back to the door and I'm screaming and crying. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do because I don't know him. I don't know her. And he was a little weird. And it's the fact that they, drive around in vans at night to place you in a home yeah, what scared me the most sketchy kids riding around a van at nighttime with strangers yes like can i just wait until the morning to go to her like i was that scared i have a statistic to uh, state according yeah. to cptsdfoundation.org uh 30 percent of youth in foster care will experience post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. twice the rate of u.s veterans so so we we're talking about veterans. That's twice the rate that foster mm. that foster kids are experiencing PTSD. That that's mm. a that's an astronomically higher rate. How, like how does that happen? That shows the ineffectiveness and mm. kind of the the mistreatment that foster kids face in these homes. Like they get stripped away from decent homes or good situations and they get put in worse situations where they can get abused sexually or physically or or emotionally. Yeah. And then we see these stories of these kids being killed in their biological parents' home and CPS doing nothing. So we're taking kids out of decent homes and putting them into foster care and then we're not taking kids out of their biological parents where they're dangerous, where they're in danger, where they could be killed and we're just leaving them there. And then they do get killed. So, or abused. Like, it's just so confusing how CPS wants to pick and choose when they want to take a kid out of the room and leave a kid in. Talk about and both situations just aren't good. I mean, both, both options, it's just... Yeah, Talk about I it. I hear you, Sam. Because it's, huma- it's inhumane. Like, to snatch that, a kid... That- like my thing is, how do you how do you snatch a kid from their parent or their grandparent or their relative? I don't know. Why don't you ask your ancestors? Mm. Jeez, <laughs> she's not lying. This is just legal kidnapping. No. I'm not gonna hold Facts. you. This is just legal kidnapping. Going into the continuation of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jada. No, it was just going into the home, stripping the kid like blocking the parents from getting to their kid. Meanwhile, you're trying to gather the kid together. Come on, grab your stuff. Let's go. Let's go. The kid's like, where am I going? You're not telling the kid where they're going. You're not telling the parent where they're going. You're just going. That's the yeah. And they did it. Yep. And they're going to tell you, you're going to be okay. How do you know? Where are you at? You can't even tell me where I'm going. You can't give me no details. Like, but I'm supposed to just believe you. I'm, I'm going to be okay. I've never met you in my life, but I'm going to be okay. Stranger. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask Jade a question. So you were saying you were in the van at night where you just dropped off at your foster mom's house and they just left you there? Like, mm-hmm. was there any talking? Like, hey, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Or was it just, here's your new home? You're not so, living here. So um, when they dropped me off, they, I was, okay, so they dropped me off and they walked me in and then she came out, she introduced me like we introduced each other but i was like you know rage so she really introduced her herself and then he i don't even think he knew her so like he didn't say nothing and when i was the only time he said something when i was trying to leave he's like where are you gonna go and then yeah. he said this is your new home and then he just like and then she's i don't know what they said after and when i walked in the room when she showed me the room that i was gonna be sleeping in and then all i know is that he just left so yeah where are you gonna go it's crazy yeah uh, That's so creepy. Jay, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, it may maybe a little personal, so if you don't want to answer, you know, feel free to say that. Uh, but growing up in the foster home, did you feel any resentment towards your biological parents, or your grandparents, or or what were you understanding of their situation? Hmm, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I no, I just felt rage towards everyone. Mm-hmm. So like. I don't know. 
I just felt like, you know, like I wasn't loved that much, you know? I don't know yeah. how I how I could feel. I just was just mad at everybody. I stopped, I'm not gonna lie, I stopped having so much rage towards everybody at the age of like, when I literally got out of foster care, like at 18 years old. So I don't know how to feel about that one, but it was, it's just a lot. Where did your rage come from? Like when you say you were enraged, what does that mean? Like make it plain for the people who are listening, who have never been through what you went through. What exactly are you saying when you said I was enraged? What like, does that mean? I was so angry about like, mostly like how, like why, you know, like mad at my parents, like, this wouldn't happen if you were being parents, like they would have been in our business. And then like, that's the only part that really made me more mad. And then like how foster just took me. And then like, it was just stuff like that. And the crazy part is that like, scared me the most is when like, when me and my foster mom used to argue, cause I used to be like a little like, you know, like you're a teenager, so you just everywhere. Yeah. And like they can handle you, especially if you have an older person. Yeah. So like she always was like, oh, you're gonna go to another home. And I used to scream kind of like, no, I know what they do because at camp they used to tell me like they locked the chain, like locked the refrigerator chains up at night when the kids were so hungry, got raped by their parents, like the foster parents. And it was so much other things. And like I used to just scream and cry. And it was crazy because my um foster, I mean my casa worker, she took me to a, a Girl Scout camp. And it was that's where I was finding out all this information from the foster kids there. It was, it didn't even feel like a Girl Scout camp. It felt like I'm just meeting like new foster kids and we all just had a camp. So it didn't feel like no Girl Scout. We didn't do nothing Girl Scout-y. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But it's interesting to, so she would say herself like she was going to like give you back to the foster system if you like didn't fix your behavior or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, that's not fair at all. And that's extremely traumatizing. Um, On her part, as a foster parent, I don't think that you should be threatening kids to put them back in the situation that they didn't want to be in in the first Mm -hmm. place. Like, what kind of foster, uh, what kind of parent would do that? I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. But then the people who want to take you and place you new homes can say, oh, this is a good home. You Like, how do you, I, I highly believe that they do not know everything that goes on within a foster home no, they don't. to give somebody the benefit of the doubt that you're going to be okay or be better than you were before yes so how how often did they check up on you in your foster home mm. oh um for me it felt like like mm, like okay so say like to this month they're going to check up on me like today and then next week and one more day and then like uh, then they'll stop and then next month they'll kind of do the same and so, like, that's how it was. But, like, the more you get older, they check up on you once a month. Oh, so the communication between you and the foster people get less and less. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. In courts, you don't got to go to that much hearings. Only when you're kind of in foster care, you kind of have to. Yeah. But you don't have to. Sometimes, like, the more you get older, you could choose, too, if you want to go to court to hear the hearings. But I always show, like, no. And could somebody define for the people who don't know what a hearing is, what a hearing is? Because I would like a further explanation of that. So, like, where you want to, like, Okay, so you go to court and they tell you about like the updates. Well, they really telling like your lawyers or like whoever's your attorney is. Mm-hmm. They're really telling them like your update that's going on in foster care, like okay. in your home. Okay. So they like you could come too to see like if you're hearing like you just knowing like the update about school about stuff like that. Oh, okay. So like, and I didn't want to go because like I don't really even care for that unless you're telling me I'm coming back to my family. Yeah, I'm right. gonna come, but I right. think I know. So were you technically a ward of the court? Is that what it was? Um, I don't really know. Um, like to to go to the um hearings like that or mm-hmm. like because they were giving an update of your status, so yeah. they weren't communicating with your biological family. They were communicating against or uh, to everybody else within your team of care. So your social worker, your attorney, the judge. Um, the caseworker, whoever is, so I'm assuming those are who were all in the ombudsman, whoever was in there for you, correct? Yes. Okay, so uh, that sounds like they may have placed you as a ward, like they, they were in charge of your care at that point. So did they terminate your parental, your parents' parental rights? Um, To see me, like visitations? And like, um, not like, like custody wise, did they did they ever terminate your parental rights, your parents' parental rights? 
Well, no, not really. They were telling, well, no, they were telling them, like, actually, they did tell my parents, like, if they get their stuff together, they can have me again. But it was so crazy because they were saying that when I'm around my parents, they were, they would tell them that, like, during the visitations. But then, like, when I'm away, they'll tell me, like, your parents not doing good, like, just making it up. Like, say we get in the car right now from the visits. Oh, I don't know if you're going to go back to them. Just making it up. So being too. Yeah, and I was just yeah. like, "What the heck? Like, what's wrong Falls with y'all?" And all that. Yeah, mm. that's not fair. And then when you first get in foster care, you can't have no contact with your family. You can't do no calls unless they tell you when you could do that. Yeah, like mm-hmm. right yeah. when you get in there, you can't tell them like you're okay. You know, like because they want to know if you're okay. Your family, you cannot do that. You have to wait. Like say like they'll tell they told me in two weeks I could yeah, talk to them. That's ridiculous. So like I had to wait. I was crying so hard. Like I can't see. I can't talk to them. I can't do nothing. It was, it was, it was crazy. This really sounds like kidnapping. Like, are you kidding me? How do you not see this? Like, you can't talk to these people. You're not allowed to see these people. You're not allowed to get out in contact. Like, locking the fridge. Are you kidding me? And you can't have no phone. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like when somebody takes a hostage. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I wanted to ask Jade about how your foster experience in the foster, how your experience in the foster care shapes your view of the world right as of now, like as as you're an adult, as an ex foster care child, how does that shape your worldview? Hmm. I don't know. I just look at, I look a little bit at life differently. Like, like I don't know. Like, I just look at life differently. I can't explain it. It just makes me feel like angry. Like, I just don't know. I just always use that word. Like when people ask me that, I just usually say, just look at it differently and angry like just I don't know is there anything it's just a feeling um like use okay so like when I see parents like I don't know like when I see okay so say like you have cousins right and then your cousins and their parents is getting at it Mm -hmm. and you know like in a bad way or like if you know their parents is not doing the right thing right now you look at it in a way like you need to be there right now because you don't know what could happen at any moment then I look at like policemen's like they're not cool to me no more because like mm-hmm. how y'all just did that. I feel you. And I just look at so much stuff way differently. And then like family, I just look at them like like I have hate towards them. Yeah. But it's not hate, but it's like hate, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. No. To me, it kind of sounds like you're on high alert yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like your senses are up a notch because of what you've been through. Yeah. Because other people I know have resentment towards the police based on what they see out in the real world, but you had to have firsthand experience on why I personally don't like them. And I, I I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry. It's to go through Thank that. you. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm just, because I hear you, you keep saying you're angry. Is there anything that anybody can do to kind of help take that anger away at this point? Because it sounds like, you were failed, right? And there were a lot of adults who didn't make um, the best decisions. And so that has impacted you as a young lady. So tell me, is there anything people can do right now to kind of help that anger soothe in a way? Well, I usually, I just want people to help out, you know, the kids more in the foster homes because they're not getting help as they needed. Like, that's the only thing that can make me more happy, you know, like fix my attitude up, like with the anger I have just help foster you know because I have people that has me like texts me in their DMs telling I mean my DMs telling me like they want me to be their voice because like I went to school with some of you who texted me that I went to I had work with some people who told me their stuff and then camp too and I just I just felt like I don't I don't know what can help me out but just to help them out yeah so like that's all and I want to applaud you for doing that today because you are their voice and that's an amazing thing and I'm sure that they're probably watching you or will watch you and be like like super proud of you for taking that initiative to be the voice for the voiceless so I applaud you for that yes but and I didn't eat at all like I never wanted to eat like I cried in bed for months like Mm -hmm. not wanting to I was like 120 like I weigh 120. I probably went up a little bit when I was in there. Cause I, cause I, okay. Cause like my mom, my dad, like my dad was always in and out of jail. Then my mom, she was always in and out of jail. So it was like, and she, she didn't have nowhere to go with us. So it was just so much drama with her and my family. So like everywhere she went, I went, if she was like homeless a little bit, I was with her doing that. And so like, I, that's mostly why my weight went down too. Cause of that. Mm-hmm. And I was more like, Everybody says, like, I'm, like, my mom's, pa- like, her parent. 
mm-hmm. more than her being my parent. So like mm-hmm. if I was hungry and like say like I have food or something in my hand, I'll give it to my mom. Like that's how I always looked at it. And so like I I just been like it seemed like ever since my grandma died, we just had each other. That's always been in our mind. Knowing we have a big family, we usually always see and loves us that it's just always been in our mind like we have each other now. Even though we had my dad, but my dad was always locked up. Like right now locked up. Mm-hmm. So like um it's just so much. And he was just on the news, like um the president was just talking about him. Like it was so much crazy. And um I just couldn't eat or nothing. I was just crying every day. The they didn't help me at all when things they're saying and like they're just like not okay. And then I asked my social worker recently before because she said this might be our last time seeing each other since I'm gonna be aged out at 21 next month. Um, she was saying that I asked her, I said, is it true that when someone's in a foster home getting like touched on or not getting help that they need, do you guys help right away or you guys take your guys' time while they like still suffering? She said, unfortunately, they they have to take their time so they could build up a case on that. And I said, that's not helping. And she said, see, that's why you need to speak up and help out. But I'm just like, you guys, like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Right. Mm. Simple. It simple. sounds like they are failure to protect. That's what they like to use against parents. It sounds like mm-hmm. the workers have a failure to protect the young people that are in their charge, really, is what it sounds like. Um, and, and I'm just... I'm actually very, um, first, I'm very proud of you for Mm -hmm. coming forward because that takes a lot to come here and be amongst people who don't know your story and to share so openly. But Mm -hmm. the other thing I want to say to you is my heart actually really breaks for you um, because you have been failed on so many levels. And I, I can see and I hear the pain when you're recounting how you were ripped from your grandmother. Um, And again, that makes me think back to the things that they've been doing to Black people for so very long. Um, And the problem is, normally, what they want to see happen is that your family can come up with the resources or the money so that they can fight them. If you don't have the resources or the money to fight them, they will just continue to kind of drag you along in the system. And so is there anything that we at BYLP can do to support you um, because you keep mentioning that you're going to age out. Um, aging out to me doesn't mean anything except for somebody else takes over um, being that listening ear for you. So is there something that we can do to support you or to rally around you? Well, I usually just tell people like when they say that, just help out like the others that really, really- No, no, no. I, I want to help you. Because I know you you have this thing where you're like, I'm good, I done aged out, I'm fine, go help the other ones. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about them right now. What I'm talking about is you specifically. I want you to look into yourself and figure out what you need support with. Because we can talk about helping everybody else, but if you're not good to be that voice that they expect you to be, then it's going to be problematic. So start thinking about how people, because people are going to hear this podcast. People will probably reach out and say, okay, well, how can we support her? And so I'm asking you for those people um, and myself, because I'm nosy, um, I'm asking you, how can we support you? What type of safety nets can we put into place with you? You have a whole bunch of young people right here who will be listening ears for you. We can go grab food. Like, tell me what we can do to support you, baby girl. That's what I'm talking about. See, look, I want to help you too. Look at that. Come on. So talk to us. Um, I don't know. I I'm not saying like I'm good, but I have everything. Like I have a home. Like I have my own house, and oh. and yeah, and I'm gonna start college soon in June. And I model and I do horseback riding. So and I have like a great boyfriend that like is there for me, and we yeah. So we just we build up together, and and he's gonna be end up going pro next month. So like Whoa. with boxing. So yeah. So we just have everything that's. That's why I really don't know what to say. What that's why I always say like I'm just aging out because um and plus like aging out means like for certain people who doesn't know like I'm just gonna be 21 and then when you turn 21 you're just done. But I also am gonna be going to extended foster home. I mean not foster home, foster care like extended program, and 
it helps out to your 24. Like they help you out with rent. And I was doing that with foster care. They were giving me like half of the rent part. And so I didn't really need it that much because I already work like not right now, but like I was, and then I stopped to find a better job that's closer to home. Cause I just moved to like green Haven even closer. And so, yeah. So yeah, nothing. Well, what, what I will say to that is a lot of times we don't know how people can help us. Think of us as your extended family, right? Mm-hmm. Not saying that you will always come to us when you need something, but sometimes you just want to hang out. Sometimes you just want maybe a, a sister figure, a brother figure, a mama figure. I don't know, auntie figure. We got aunties all up and through that office. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you need that type of support. I don't know, and I don't want to speak for you. But it sounds to me that the more support you have rallying around you, you may have everything that you think you need right now, but the more support rallying around you will help to amplify that voice that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. will give you the confidence uh, to really be out here, you know, really slanging them things on these people when they start trying to talk about something that they've never been through. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm not saying that we can fix everything or we're magicians or anything like that. I'm saying sometimes you just need to know somebody has your back too. Um, and so I want you to keep that in mind. But Melissa, you've been awful quiet, baby girl. Um, I know what you said to me uh, in the text message and I let you share. Um, I am so upset. And my heart, like Miss Lorraine said, is breaking for you. And I have not had a personal experience with foster care, but uh, Miss Lorraine, you know this, when we got Kane, he was in danger of going into foster care. So in my head, I'm like thinking all of these things could have happened to him. Um, and it it makes me really upset. And even hearing your experiences, it how the police came and like you said, physically as an 11 year old girl, men, grown men, came and snatched you from the comfort of your grandmother's arms. Like that is instilling a fear of law enforcement. It's instilling a fear of men and grown men in general. It's it's just, it's very frustrating. Um, but I'm so happy that you felt comfortable enough with BYLP and with us to come and talk about mm-hmm. your experience because that's, that's not easy. And I'm sitting here about to cry and I didn't go through any of this. And so just... I thank you so much for sharing your experience because a lot of people can't do that and that's okay, but there are people that can do that. So thank you for being willing to come and talk to us about this. Yeah. Yes. I have another Sam? statistic. Another statistic. Okay, Sam. <laughs> According to the Child Welfare Up to 80% of children in foster care have significant mental health issues compared with approximately 18 to 22% of the general population. And and talk about you, Jade. You you got the best case scenario. You got a good foster home, a stable foster home for, until you were 18 and you aged out of the foster care system, like the core foster care system. But you still have long-term trauma even with best case scenario. So think about worst case scenario of people of, children who are in the foster care system. That's just, it's just mind blowing how the foster care system completely disenfranchises these children that they put, that they put in these situations. They put, they put them through these, this mental anguish and this physical anguish that could completely derail the trajectory of their lives. Mm. You're you're throwing the big words. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And to this day now, my mom and my um dad, they still argue over like how it all happened because they were both in jail mm-hmm. when it all happened. So like to this day, they still argue about like how did this all happen? Like, like all sorts of stuff about it. And it's just so crazy. I have to ask, um, and feel free to not answer if you're feeling uncomfortable it's anyway, okay. but how like after this foster care situation, how is it now being a young adult? How's the relationship with your parents right now? Um, so at 18, my dad, when he got out, of, he went, he got out of jail when I turned, like literally turned 18. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me my first apartment. And so like, it was like, I don't know. So it, it, we, he said, sorry and all that, but 
we're okay with our bond, but I think like I feel like I still have like you know madness towards him because mm-hmm. I still throw out a lot of attitude towards him. Yeah. And sometimes I do apologize. I call back on the phone, like I'm so sorry, you know. And then me, and my mom. I don't know. Like I can never see hate towards her because it's like it was just so much with me and her. Like we, it's like we both grew up together with you know before foster care. So yeah. she always tried her hardest. So. I don't know, but I still feel a little bit mad towards her, but not all the way because she says I'm sorry in so many ways. But you know, yeah, and so I just don't know. I just wing it, <laughs> wing it. I feel that. Um, I had another question. So you said when you were taken, they just came into your house and took you. Um, was your grandma given warnings like, "Hey, you're not." allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that or was it just like one and done like one mistake and you're taken yeah one mistake and you're taken mm. yeah okay that's interesting I, I get that 100 um listening to you talk about your experience it's kind of um it's kind of like bringing me back a little um I had a incident that's why I for a minute um sorry so I was in a what it was called I was in I guess like second third grade um it's known in the black community, if you get in trouble, you get a whooping. Mm-hmm. But in CPS, it's seen as abuse. Yes. So for a minute, I didn't really like talking to any of my teachers because talking to my friends, my teacher eavesdropped and heard, you know, I got in trouble. I got a whooping. They don't give you a warning. And I think that listening to you talk about how you got no warning as a kid, like I get that 100 percent. And I feel like that it was so unfair to you and it was super traumatizing for you. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that because, yeah, uh, listening to it, that. It just brought me back. So, mm. Yeah, it's a lot of. It's like the stuff I said now today. Like I talked about, it was like it wasn't even half of it. It was deeper, like so much stuff going on. What made you want to talk? Like feel comfortable telling your story? Because there's a lot of people who go through this, but they usually have a moment where they're just like, you know what? I feel like I need to talk uh, about this to the public. Yeah. Um, well, so I never told my story. So mm-hmm. I felt like I started reaching out to a little bit of like news people that I wanted to hear certain parts of my story. Some news people that were close to me, like not close, but like knew me through people. Mm-hmm. And I told them some stuff and then like they never did nothing about it. And so like I was just thinking like I want to just spread the word and help out and let people feel free to tell their part of their story to let others be heard, you know, hear it mm-hmm. more and to be okay to tell, you know, just to help out or just say how it's going or just, you know. And so like that made me just think like I'm just ready cuz usually when I try to tell my story I cry a lot, I don't like talking about it. Mm-hmm. So more I got older I was like I'm okay to just say it. And honestly, you talking about it puts a lot of courage in other people who may have gone through the same thing to want to talk about it as well. So thank you for that. And I know you kind of glossed over it, Jada, um, but CPS did find an occasion to come through my home um, and they took Jada out. I was detained or kind of surrounded by police officers in my kitchen um, and they took her out of the front door. I did not know who they were. They did not leave any contact information. um, And there was a lot. Now, I truly believe had I not worked at the state Capitol, it would not have been rectified in the way that it was as expeditiously as as it was. Um, The other thing I didn't ever come, I did not cooperate with what they wanted. They told me that we needed to pay for counseling. I said, we're going to go through my private insurance. They did not like that. Um, They wanted us to sign documents. I told her, dad, you better sign Daffy Duck. You better not put your name on nothing. (laughs) And it was a lot of these little things where you have people. um, And it was actually a black administrator at Roy Herberger Elementary that decided to call and get CPS involved. They strip searched my child at school. Nobody said anything. Um, Then they removed her from our home. My husband was charged with failure to protect. So hearing all these social workers who do not protect these children, they all should be charged as well. I ended up on a khaki list. Do you guys know what a khaki list is? It is the Child Abuse Central Index. I was going to have to register as a child abuser um, because of this situation with Jada. Now, that is not what happened. And all of that was rectified, but it was traumatizing nonetheless. 
And so I am infuriated anytime I hear a situation involving CPS and removing our babies from our home for no just cause. Um, mm. Absolutely ridiculous. And had I not, again, worked at the state capitol and had access to people in positions of power, I don't believe that it would have turned out to where um, it, it, it's not anywhere on our record. It's not anywhere in anywhere. I'm not on a khaki list anymore. But I think about all the other parents who don't have access to the things that I had access to. I think about those parents who don't have the resources that my family has, right? And so to hear this stuff and to see it playing out in conjunction with school campuses, it really pisses me off. I have to be perfectly honest with you guys. And Jade, I thank you for coming in and sharing your story, but something has to be done about the fact that we're failing so many children when we're ripping them from their homes, telling them you're we're going to give you a new life and then discarding them like they're trash. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And I'm still mad at that black administrator. I don't know if I've ever told her that, uh, but I hope that her or her husband sees this because he's actually involved with another school district currently. I hope they see this and I hope she knows that I know, I remember everything they took my kid through. And I remember telling them at that school, you call me up here again, my name is gonna be on that moniker. And I've been hell ever since, they should have left me alone. That's how I became an advocate guys. That's how I began to go into schools because they messed with the wrong person. Mm. They need to learn to leave well enough alone. And this happened in Elk Grove Unified School District. Mm. Surprise. So, mm. I say all that to say there is always a catalyst that makes you step into a position where you can help other people. And Jade, I'm offering that support to you because your voice is going to be valuable in this fight to change things uh, for these young people coming behind you. Um, I'm so excited that this Thursday I get, a, I get to uh, actually attend the Casa Gala in Los Angeles. So Melissa, I'm gonna be out there for all of 24 hours <laughs> or less or less. So I'll be at the Casa Gala uh, meeting up with uh, Miss Charity as I look at the work that she's doing as the CEO of Casa LA. Um, and we're gonna see how we can continue to really speak into the lives of our young people because this is absolutely, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And my heart hurts, um, constantly hurts when I hear stories like this and I think of Kane, Melissa and his sweet little self. Um, and I think of all the other foster children who are in the system that I saw crying um, at the, con the conference we went to and them saying that they just want to go home. But home has changed now, right? They just want to go home though. And so what do y'all say about that? Like, what would you say? I think the, the thing that sticks out to me is when you said that you asked the corn the, the the social worker if there was if they're in a place where they're getting abused, is it a slow process or is it a fast process? And they said it's a slow process. I think that just sticks mm -hmm. out to me just be just because like you want to take somebody out for quickly. Quickly, but if they're doing something, if the foster uh, parents that you said are going to give that person a better life is doing something that we can actually see, you're going to take your time and investigate. Right. You can take so, somebody out their home super fast, no communication. But when it comes to stuff like this within foster homes, it's like, oh, we yeah. got to dissect, we got to investigate. There has to be this step process. So you get the, oh, yeah, okay. the investigation for the foster parents, but the one mistake and done for the biological parents is yeah. just ridiculous to me i think, yeah. I think it's just like it's so crazy how foster parents are like treated with this grace like hmm. they're at this holy ground where they get all this room to make mistakes mistakes quote unquote there are really really big offenses abuse rape oh oh it doesn't matter oh child abuse starvation don't matter. What, what do we have to do with it? We took them out of the home. Our job is done. Are they not giving background checks? The, these, 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 are, these are the supposed 
lives of these children and we're putting them back and then we're putting them in, in a threat in a, in a home where they can be abused and manipulated and traumatized for life. What is yeah. this? What? Yeah. Who is that? Who is that? Anaya? It was yeah, I was, trying to, I was trying to say, um, what was really interesting is how, Jade, you had said that when you asked the worker, is it a slow process? So they know what they're doing and they know what they're doing is wrong. My question is why haven't y'all fixed it? If you know you're doing something and you know you're doing is wrong, you know you're not right for what you're doing, why are you still doing it? Why are you still working for the people? Like, policies mm. always change. It's if they want them to change. Mm. Yeah. Miss Jade, we're going to give you the last word, honey. Oh, um, <laughs> I was just going to say that they also like, if you come as like a pack like siblings, they split you up yep. into different homes, which I never liked. Like, right. that's what one girl at my school was telling me, like, she can't find her brother and sister because they, they're all split up. And yeah. she started crying. And I was just standing like, what That's heartbreaking when I hear stuff like that. And you can't tell the news people. I told some of the news people, like, do they like do they talk about this stuff? Like, this needs to be heard, like, to be helped? Or, like, just anything about foster care? They always said they're going to look at it and put it to the side. Or put it to the side. And don't say nothing. But, like, this one lady from, like, Los Angeles, like, L.A., that's from the news. She wants to talk about it, but she's not. Fortunately, she said she used to be out here and she's like in Sac, but like she lives out there. And then she said, Did I reach anyone out here? I said, Yeah, but they said, Put it to the side. They're going to put it to the side and read over it. And then she was just like, That's so sad. Who did you talk to? I don't remember her name. Like, I was just taking like all people like from Sacramento on Instagram that were news people. And then this one Pacific one that knows me because of another program like this. Um, I forgot her name, but I forgot her name because I don't talk to none of them no more after what they said. Like, they're going to put aside to stop caring for them. I don't hmm. remember her name, though. Hmm. Let's see if we can't find out who that was. Because we have access to some reporters, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we okay. do. Let's see if we can't figure out how we can amplify this um, and keep talking. Um I think your voice is needed. Um, yeah. I would love for you to come and, and start coming to schools with us when we go and we have different kids to help out. I would love to see you kind of develop your voice in a way that would be powerful where they can ignore you and they can't push you to the side. Because one thing they don't do, they don't push me to no side. I'll get on here and start talking so fast. <laughs> But anyway, y'all, we don't ran out of time. We're a little bit over, but that is okay. Um, thank you, Miss Jade, for coming through and gracing us with your presence. Uh, it looks like Sam has his hand up. Yes, sir. So I got an application a few days ago. It actually came like almost a month ago, but I didn't see it until a few days ago. I got an application for the National Junior Honor Society. Let's go. Okay, come on, Sam. All right, that's what I like to hear. I'm looking. I'm waiting for the acceptance letter. Okay, and so what happens next? Uh, I just wait for the acceptance letter, and then I go to a ceremony in May. Awesome. Um, anybody else got something to share before we log off? I was about to get out of here, but Sam had such great news. Melissa, you got a show coming up at the end of the month? Yes. Her. Yeah, I have a poetry show on the 29th with uh, the producer of the Pan-African Film Festival Spoken Word Fest. He's put on a different show, and I'm going to be the feature poet, so that's going to be fun. So I have a 15-minute set on April 29th. Come on now, 15-minute set. That's what I'm talking about. Anaya, anything good? Tell me something good. Um, I decided where I want to go to college, but y'all will find out May 1st. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh -oh. Yes. Yeah. Uh -oh. Do we got a show on that day? Do we? What? We do have a show on that day, don't oh, we? Yeah, we do. We talk. Ooh, oh. We, we, we okay. can't spoil who we're talking to. We can't spoil who we're talking to, but we got somebody. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, Jada, anything good? Uh, I'm no longer a senior in two weeks. So, yeah, guys, I'll be a graduate. Whoa. <laughs> 
in the States in May. Come to the black, uh, uh, what's it called? A black grad? Yes, yeah, sir. Black, yeah, that's in June. That is in June. It's in June. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll yeah. be walking the stage you know? in June then. doesn't matter. I'll be walking the stage in June. That's all I matter. And Black Grad is going to be hosted by BBBOE. So y'all make oh, sure. Oh, man. Come see it. Come, 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 see this, mm-hmm. come see the squad. Well, so you better be out here. Come see the squad. Jalen, anything good happen? Uh, You know, the best thing I can say is light the beam. Um, because oh, Sacramento oh, is the greatest oh, city oh, on. No, no, you aren't. No, you aren't. We cannot get that. Game two tonight. Come on, go to St. Louis. And we'll win that too. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? This boy is on top. Stop playing. Uh, you might want to take that head off after game two. Oh, <laughs> you might want to take that head off. Oh. Uh, Adrian. Uh, no. I mean. <laughs> I'm a Lakers fan. We won. <laughs> this you know, dude, like, ja got hurt, so series is ours. <laughs> wow. Wow. Y'all gotta stop trying to make yeah. Ja <laughs> Um, uh, real quick before we get out of here, I do have to shout out to the James B. McClatchy uh, Foundation. They did approve a three-year grant uh, for Black Youth Leadership Project to continue uh, to do some of the things that we're doing. So for three years, we'll be raking in about over three hundred thousand dollars so shout out to them um yeah and i think that's it y'all y'all can um let's get the wave popping sam sam start us off Uh oh come on melissa mom no other way yeah there we go i can do it i can do it oh hold on here yeah we'll see y'all next time Oh, <laughs> <laughs>